You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson. Welcome back. Today, we rejoin Dustin and Carrie as they continue to discuss the seemingly parallel journeys of military veterans returning home with those who have the disease of addiction, choosing their recovery. In this episode, we discuss trust and the reciprocity that does not always exist between loved ones. Trust requires the ability for both the veteran or person with the disease to be vulnerable with their loved ones and an amount of faith in their loved one that they can handle what is being said and shared. Both of these components of trust may be hard to build, especially when that vulnerability has been equated with weakness. Tune in to listen to how Carrie illuminates the lack of reciprocity many veterans have with their family members. Let's rejoin Carrie and Dustin Brockberg, the authors of End Your Covert Mission, a Veteran's Guide to Fighting Pain and Addiction. The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. When writing the book, the focus was on the veteran experience. But incorporating in that experience, if they're part of a family, which everyone is, that had to be part of the book. I appreciate you saying that. I would say we were writing to the veteran experience and family members of veterans that know a veteran, that have heard of a veteran, are just as much impacted by this book as the veteran is. And our hope in this book was to not only validate a veteran's experience and what might be happening for them, but to also provide a sense of validation for the family that's trying to understand their member of their family. And one of the biggest disconnects for a lot of people in this world is feeling misunderstood and then not knowing how on earth to describe or identify what they're feeling and then taking a step further, trying to express that to somebody else. And so this book is trying to give some words to that. It's trying to give a little bit of a new gear, so to speak. And so we have had just as much feedback from veterans as we have non-veterans. We have had family members, people that are just working through their recovery, just working through chronic pain, or just working through mental health. We're getting all angles of this kind of being hit, that this is applicable across the bat. This is not just a one-size-fits-all book. And so, yes, I would say the family who is also one resilient group out there is just as much a part of this book as the veterans. Yeah. Margaret, you had mentioned some excerpts or parts of the book that might be beneficial or to hear, understand. And I actually grabbed our book to bring that up at the opportune moment. We have a whole section in here on social pain and there's a lot of little nuggets that I probably could share in here. And we really do try to talk more about, yes, the family that maybe a veteran has, but also their military family. And so it's really interesting, right? Like this transition back, you're coming back to your 
immediate family, but in some ways you're leaving the military family. So it's this like system reintegration, but also this loss at the same time. It's a very interesting piece and time for veterans when they're in this in-between stage. So there's a lot of different things in here about different points and military family and different things, but there is one section here. Before you read, Carrie, you just brought something up that tweaked something with me. Dustin and I, full disclosure, overlapped in our work at Hazelden Betty Ford. So I always have this frame of reference because I know my audience, a lot of people are dealing with the disease of addiction. What do you think of the fact that to Carrie's words just then of someone leaving their military family, reintegrating into their family of origin or family of choice, their home. Sounds like, in my head, people who've been using, leaving that fellowship, for lack of a better word, to finding a recovery fellowship. Parallels seem pretty clear. I agree. It's a parallel process in a lot of ways, whether it be from working through addiction into recovery in the world of recovery. It could even be a parallel process of going to treatment and then leaving treatment, right? I mean, you could put that stamp on a lot of things. So I think you're 100% right that there's a familiarity across that. Which leads into what Carrie's probably going to read pretty beautifully, because I think the family feels so on the outside of that experience and don't know where they belong, how to communicate, what's okay to communicate, mixed with their own set of emotions from being on the other side of it. So it's fascinating, really. I never thought of it that way. Take that even a step further. When somebody is going through treatment, they might get a call from a counselor or somebody that usually is just giving like an update or something's happened and they got to go home or whatever. Very similar when somebody is working through addiction, usually the calls aren't good, right? It's usually a bad call. I'm in the hospital and something happened to me, blah, blah, blah. Calls in the military are bad. You don't want someone to call members of your family in the middle of a deployment. That's a scary call, right? So there's a lot of parallel processes here. That's really interesting. Like, again, without having lived it, I would never have even gone there other than the odd movie I've seen it in. But of course, it makes total sense. Yeah, I was to my mom, if you never get a call, I'm okay. We can go all different places, couldn't we? Okay, Mary, let's hear the excerpt. I'm dying to hear what you're going to read. Well, so now I feel like I could have flipped to something else. There's so many little things that could go with what we're talking about. But let me go ahead. This is in the social pain section under the trusting a significant other. So. As a veteran, you may have difficulty trusting yourself, other people, and the world in general. It can be hard to expect good things when you've experienced really hard ones. Whether those hard times happen before, during, or after your time in the military, these difficulties with trust may be affecting your ability and willingness to share your feelings, stories, or the full extent of your pain with others, especially with your significant other. And Then we go on to talk about trusting your spouse and significant other and how sharing that and having this expectation of, are they going to be able to handle this weight? Are they going to be able to take in what I'm saying right now? Going back to what Dustin was talking about, like even those phone calls of wanting to protect your family. And there's a lot of really big values that come with that of like what it means to protect, right? If I'm protecting, I'm keeping people safe keeping my family safe, my significant other. And we really explore this a little bit about like, you have to give people a chance. You have to recognize that people want to help you. And I don't know where this is in our book, but 
there's this interesting feeling for a lot of veterans. And I talk about this with vets all the time. The idea of you want to help all these people, but we're the reciprocity there sounds like there's a rule up that people are not allowed to help you. Mm. And a lot of times my vets be like, oh, damn, Carrie, like, I can't believe you said that, right? That makes a lot of sense. But I think that comes with trust and it goes both ways. It goes with veterans trying to be open and flexible with trusting significant other family members, but also the other way too, that family members and significant others need to understand and trust the process of their veteran. It's amazing. I keep paralleling it to the work I do with families. And one of the things that we know, and I don't want to parallel it too much because I don't want to label being a veteran as a disorder, right? Like that's not what I'm trying to do. So clarify this for me if it sounds like that. When a person's been in their addiction, the family tends to take on the load. When a person's been serving and been out of the home, whoever's left takes on the load. The reintegration, very different because as someone's serving, it's not a trust issue per se, you know, because they haven't changed, but yet they would have changed from their experiences serving. How do you reintegrate so that you become parallels again as co-parents or find your roles? Right, right. I mean, a good example of that is, let's say one parent leaves the home and this parent used to have the role of being the person who punished or, you know, held kids accountable in the family system. Let's just Mm -hmm. put it that way. And they leave, they lost that role and they come back and try to reestablish that existing role. But that other parent has taken on that role. Now the kids have learned to take on or learned to kind of who to go to parenting styles often change. Right. When you reintegrate back into a system, which can create a whole different crisis because then the role in which you used to have is now been taken from you, whether or not you wanted that or not, but probably needed to do that for the family system to survive without you being there. And so, yes, there's a lot of parallels that can happen with that. Sometimes people, when they come back, they simply don't know what to share, how to share it, when to share it, and who to share it with. And so it might not necessarily be about the word trust, but it might be out of fear too, right? There's still some level of trust for sure, hopefully. But that doesn't mean that trust is an all-encompassing umbrella of I trust all things, right? I trust you with 95%, but this 5% of what happened on that one fateful day, I might not be ready to talk about that yet, right? And then members of family can be really confused. Why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you telling me what's going on within you? And it's almost a feeling of, I can't, I won't, I don't feel able to, I feel vulnerable if I do it. And just not even kind of realizing that they might be there to help, but they can't see that in that moment. And then that's totally normal. It's totally Mm -hmm. okay to do that. Mm -hmm. Very similar to somebody coming back and trying to, they come to treatment, they leave, they're in a state of recovery, they're proud of their recovery, and they go back and folks either, you can't, is it our responsibility to explain that process, right? Is it the responsibility of the veteran to explain their experience? I don't know that it is, right? Right. All the while, it might be some level of compromise to find middle ground again, to find a way to actually connect again. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Have you been living, feeling hijacked by worry, fear, preoccupation with another person's every move? Have you felt alone and fearful of what bad thing will happen next? Have you found yourself crossing your values to get the attention of your loved one? Doing anything, everything, the things we can't believe we do, 
to try and make someone else see that they could be healthy. I can only speak for myself that this was not a club I wanted to belong to, but found myself needing support with exactly these issues. You're not alone. If you would like to join our Embrace Family Recovery Coaching Group, our next meeting will be on the 10th of May, Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we will dive into the topic of the gift exchange, which is a deep dive into step three. If you'd like to join the group, please register in the link below. This is a closed group and only registered participants can attend. You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show. It's really truly about curiosity, patience and grace of the time it takes, assimilating and keeping communication or finding a new communication style. Those must be very important, especially if you come from a place where you're keeping the secrets and keeping the content because A, you have to because of the position you're in or B, because you're scared that it would be too much for them to hear and you don't want to traumatize them. Absolutely. The hidden aspect, right? We've chose our title very carefully because the idea of a covert mission, right? Keeping something within pain is something that is very difficult to share with folks, especially veterans, because it's vulnerable and it appears weak. And that's not something that was an option when they were serving, right? You can't appear vulnerable or weak. That's not allowed in that setting. Survival is what has to happen. So covert mission is talking about that, the idea of it doesn't have to be something that's hidden anymore. And this is a huge parallel back again to substance use, right? That hidden process that a lot of folks don't share their substance use for a very long time. And it can feel shameful, scary, vulnerable. And some of those things line up for veterans too. You're also making me think about that famous phrase, secrets keep you sick, right? <laughs> and so that's a perfect way of saying that. Do you feel that's true, Dustin, when it comes to the military experience? Do you feel that people who have it served need, for lack of a better word, the opportunity to have a safe place to let out secrets because they do impact their well-being? I think veterans need to know that they have a space. Mm whether they choose to express those secrets in that moment, I think takes time. Mm-hmm. That's not something to just pour out and just let it all out. One fell swoop. Right. I tell a lot of my folks, don't, don't just dump this. It's kind of like, if you remember Fran Williams, I'm guessing, you know, Fran, Fran taught me a valuable lesson of this idea of if you have a patient in your room and they're crying and you give them a tissue, don't throw away that tissue. Right? That's part of their story. You're throwing away their feelings there. Right. And I always think about that of, you know, it might be more about having a person know they have a spot that's safe enough to when you're ready to let that secret out, we're ready to kind of hold it. And that actually leads me to something you were saying earlier around the assumption that a person who hears your story is not going to be able to handle it. How do you know that? Right. Right. We're making an assumption that they're going to unwind, untangle, and that could be a mentality from the military that could be a mentality from previous you know, childhood life, whatever it is, but you learned that mentality somewhere. And this is kind of my, my newer phrase. What if you're wrong? Right. 
What if that person can handle it? What if that person is ready to handle it? And they've already been preparing themselves to hear the worst. Right. So the developed resiliencies, right, Dustin? So the fact your family is also developing resiliencies and strengths and experiences. They're going through completely different <laughs> things than the veteran and at the time the service member, but they're developing those resiliencies too. So the veteran understanding, wait a second, this also might be a narrative I have from my previous experiences, but they're going through stuff too. They have a developed sense. Maybe I don't even know how they're going to receive this because they're in a different spot as well. So recognizing the lens has maybe changed for them as well, just as much as it's changed for the veteran. There is a process of change that has to happen on both sides of that experience. I can't imagine it wouldn't. And it's, again, similar when you live in the disease of addiction, the family has an experience and the person with the disease has an experience. As a naive person, having not lived with military, had any, my grandfather served as a bomber pilot in World War II. And the only experience I saw of him, first of all, very proud, very shut down emotionally, never put that burden on any of us. In that's the term I would use. I don't know if he would have. But when he was really ill at the end of his life, he had Parkinson's and he would have problems and he'd end up in the hospital and he'd pull me in and he'd say, be quiet. And I'd be like, what's up, grandpa? He'd say, the intercom system, that's the Germans. They're listening. I never heard from him my whole growing up years much about that experience. I heard little stories here along the way, but he was very careful of what he shared other than when he was incapacitated to the point that he couldn't contain it. And that was very heartbreaking to witness of thinking of carrying that for all those years without having an outlet or feeling you could have an outlet. Right. Right. I forget what chapter it's in, but there's a story we tell around this older veteran that kind of breaks down at the end of their life. And our challenge in that process is how can we get to a place where we don't have to wait until we're 80 or 90 to share that story, to get those emotions out. And there's a level of pride and proud and stoicism and all those things that need to be kind of deconstructed in a way that still allows a person to know that they're still the same person. They're just sharing their story before they get to that point where they can't contain it any longer. And oftentimes if we were to challenge a person and say, when you look at, let's say, your grandfather, hypothetically, your grandfather's on their deathbed and they're crying, would you see them as being weak? We would probably astoundingly all say no, right? But that same rule doesn't apply to you, right? So why is that rule not applying to you? What makes this different somehow? Yeah. And folks rarely have an answer. To that. <laughs> so that's the opportunity, right? That's mm -hmm. the work of, okay, mm -hmm. so now we've kind of called you out here. What is it that we're holding on to that's saying, I can't? versus I won't. Dustin and Carrie do such a great job of continuing the conversation about the role vulnerability and reciprocity play in building trust between veterans and their loved ones. The parallels are so striking between addiction recovery, family recovery, and veterans returning home changing relationships, needs, wants, communication, reintegration. So much to learn and so many similarities. 
and I'm incredibly grateful that Dustin and Carrie Brockberg chose to write their powerful, valuable, helpful book, End Your Covert Mission. Come back next week for Carrie and Dustin's final episode, where we talk more about the messiness of life and the benefits of recovery and community. I want to thank my guests for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time, please take care of you.